0: Uh, Please remain standing for God's uh, Word, for the reading of it. We are continuing our series on the letter uh, of James. We are on chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. If you're following uh, in the church Bible, that's 1013. Uh, Keep your finger there, actually. Uh, Our Old Testament reading comes from Malachi. Malachi. Chapter 3, I'll be reading verse 1 through 5. If you're following in the the Church Bible, that's 802. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Uh, Give your full attention to it. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old as in former years then i will draw near to you for judgment i will be swift witness Uh, Against the the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's turn now to James chapter 5. Come now, you rich which you kept back by fraud and crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Grass withers. Flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray that he might bless it to us. O Lord, our God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, So James is making a geographical move. He's going from water to land. Uh, he just talked about merchants who, who were traveling in, in water and boats. And now he's addressing landowners or, or farmers, people who, who own land. Uh, but in both cases, he's talking about wealth and what it looks like to be under its spell. Uh, commentators argue who's, who, who James's audience is here whether they're people from outside of the community or, or, or people inside the church. Well, I really think it's both because the love of money can exist everywhere. It's not just out there. The love of money can also be in the midst of us. You know, we're, we're pretty good at wiggling, out, uh, wiggling our way out of passages like these. When we hear judgment against the rich, We tend to look away. That's for those people. I'm not even rich, right? So why do we need to listen to a passage like this? Well, let me just say a few things. Uh, One, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Whether we like it or not, we have to deal with wealth. God wants us to know its place in our lives. Uh, Two, You don't have to be rich to treasure wealth. Three, the desire to be rich can make us cheat people. Um, and, And four, a passage like this can give us hope. Because it tells us that God will one day make all things right. He will right every wrong. It's not always going to be this way. And so what can we discover about ourselves as we, discover, as we consider James's warning to the rich? I think we can at least learn this from our passage. Uh, and, and, as, and this is our big idea, uh, so I want you to hold on to it. The love of money makes us treasure what doesn't last and oppress people that God calls us to care for. The love of money makes us treasure what doesn't last and oppress people that God calls us to care for. Uh, So James, in the prophetic tradition of Israel, transports the rich to the last days. It's a time full of carnage and judgment on the wicked. Uh, Isaiah, for example, says, Wail! For the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Uh, that's James's message here. There's a coming misery for the rich. And he says, they should cry because of it. I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever been to one, but one of my earliest memories as a kid was being at my grandmother's sister's funeral. Uh, she was my Lola, uh, that's, that's a grandma in my language. I mean, I, I was pretty young. I don't, I don't remember how, how old I was, probably around six or so. But I remember standing by her open casket in the middle of our living room, right? I'm a little kid, and, I, and I'm just terrified. But that's, that's what a funeral looks like in the Philippines. And let me tell you, Filipinos know how to mourn. I think a lot of Western people don't know how to mourn. You know, they keep a, a stiff upper lip and, 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 and can't mourn properly. But Filipino funerals are very loud, right? There's, there's intense misery and violent grief. And so now I want you to imagine being in a funeral like that. It's very loud, and, and there's, there's a dead body right there. Uh, but I want you to imagine, instead of mourning someone else's death... You're mourning your own. And what you're mourning goes beyond death. You're mourning something even more terrible than death. Your real misery is God's judgment here. That's what's coming to the rich, James says. That's what they're looking forward to. Something more frightening than death itself. That's the coming misery James is talking about in our passage. Uh, But why is this misery coming to them, is the question. I said this last time, uh, but James is not against wealth. He's not rebuking them for having a bunch of stuff. He's not angry because they have money and super nice clothes. That's not why misery is coming to them. Uh, Because we know many people in the Bible were in fact wealthy. Uh, Think of Joseph, he became uh, Pharaoh's governor, right? The, the wealthiest uh, uh, king at the time, you're, you're a governor, you have to have some money doing that, right? Uh, there's David, King David, he was a king. Uh, then there's Solomon, King Solomon. Boy, did he have a lot of stuff, right? For, but, but for all of his faults, Solomon didn't face the coming misery of the rich. And so what is James condemning here? James is condemning the role of wealth in their lives. It's how the rich acquire their wealth and what they do with it afterwards. I'll sum it up like this. Wealth has become their treasure. Wealth has become their treasure. That's what's wrong. That's why misery is coming upon them. And notice how James describes them. The rich pursue wealth, but the riches have rotted. Moths have eaten their clothes, and their money has rusted and corroded. What do all of those descriptors have in common? Well, they tell us that wealth is temporary, right? Wealth doesn't last. It will fade away. It is fleeting, Uh, James is clearly reflecting on his brother's teaching. Uh, Listen to Jesus' famous words from Matthew 6. Do not lay up treasures uh, for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, remember, the letter of James is about wisdom. And so James wants you to see how foolish this all is. Because hoarding things, treasuring worth, uh, earthly uh, things is the opposite of wisdom. Because to hoard things is to stake your life on what doesn't last. You're holding on to things that are transient and impermanent. What kind of people are, uh, hold things that will one day fade away? Fools. Fools do that. And so as riches waste away, James literally says that they will be a testimony against you. They will be an evidence on the scene, on the crime. They're, they're like the murder weapon, and they have your fingerprints all over it. And so these rotted treasure will condemn you on the last day. Uh, but let me ask you this. Do you actually have to be rich to treasure these things, these rotted possessions? The answer is no. No. Our hearts are capable of treasuring riches without actually owning them. We, have, we just have to have a desire for them. Uh, in fact, Paul says the desire to be rich is a trap. It's a trap, right? It's like an animal caught in a snare. And what happens if, if that animal never gets untangled and freed? Well, it'll die, right? Right? It'll die and it'll rot. Uh, That's how life is for people who badly want to be rich. Well, I'll, I'll let Paul describe it for himself. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You see, the desire to be rich is the heartbeat of greed. But let me tell you, greed doesn't just ruin you. It makes you do things to other people that your mom wouldn't be proud of. Pretty loud there, James. But greed, greed makes us cheat people. It makes us exploit others for our own benefit. Because greed is the insatiable desire for more, it is the unquenchable thirst for rotted things. It can never be satisfied, yet it drives us to want more and more, even at the expense of other people. Uh, this is James's point about landowners and harvesters in our passage. You see, these landowners defrauded. Uh, the harvesters, because they were greedy. Uh, They haven't paid their workers their due. They've kept the money for themselves. The landowners are getting rich at the expense of these harvesters. You see, uh, owning land is actually a great responsibility responsibility in the Bible. Uh, We see this with Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, What was their job as landowners, or more accurately, caretakers of God's land? Because that's what it is. People don't ultimately own land. Uh, God owns the land. We are simply caretakers of it. But what was Adam and Eve's job? Well, it was to show God's generosity and cultivate God's kingdom in the world that others might be cared for. You see, that's really the pattern with everything that we have. We are called to use our things for the good of other people. And so what are we doing with our possessions and our money? What are we using them for? Are we using them uh, generously and wisely? Or are we being foolish with them? Are we hoarding them for ourselves? Because that's exactly what these landowners have done. They have hoarded money. They have withheld good from their neighbor. And think about how dehumanizing fraud is. Uh, Fraud uh, treats others less than human. It cheats them of their worth as people made in God's image. What does it feel like to be cheated what does it feel like to be a victim of injustice? While the rich get richer, defrauded people experience deep depression and agonizing sorrow from being swindled. I can't even put food on my table because my boss my boss, won't pay me correctly. They've been robbed of their dignity and they can't fight back. What do you do in those moments but cry? And so with tears in their eyes, they cry out, God, enough! Don't you see our pain? Do something! You see, this is a cry of desperation. I wonder how many of you have ever had those moments in your lives right, where you feel vulnerable and powerless. If you have, then you have a glimpse of their pain. Uh, we tend to take this for granted. Uh, maybe it's because it's everywhere in the Bible. But God hears the cries of the oppressed. They are loud enough to reach His ears. And so for James, the cry of anguish is powerful. God listens when we lament, when we are full of sorrow. Why? Why? Because he's our Father, because he's overflowing with compassion. He longs to suffer with us. Uh, this is captured in the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Uh, who was the landowner, right? Pharaoh and Egypt. Who were the the harvesters? Israel. They they became slaves. For 400 years, they were defrauded, exploited, and dehumanized. They were worked to the bones without seeing a dime. Israel was powerless and oppressed, and resistance was futile. Uh, Because resisting meant, what? A beating, or even death. What could you possibly do at those moments? Uh, This is what Exodus 2 tells us. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from, uh, from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You see this oppressive and exploited relationship is in fact everywhere in the Bible. Even with God's covenant community, Israel had kings who exploited the people. And in the New Testament, it even went on in the church where people are exploiting other people. But it's not just in the stories of the Bible. It's also present in all of human history. Uh, I think of the dictators who took advantage of their people, like Hitler, like Mao, like Castro, Mussolini. I know you know more, but there's many of them. And what about our country, right? Our own country was, was in many ways built on the backs of exploited people. Slavery was big business. You know, cotton fields weren't getting picked on their own, and African slaves were cheap. Uh, people became wealthy at their expense. Uh, but you know, a- exploitation still happens today. But in different forms, like underpaid immigrant laborers, underage sweatshop workers, overworked employees with little pays, there are individuals who have billions. And we have poor and hungry children in the midst of us. Uh, But so long as there's greed in people's hearts, so long as people treasure things that don't last, people will continue to oppress and dehumanize one another. And people will continue to cry out for justice, for God to make things right. Uh, But in the midst of all that, There's good news. Because James says, as as God did with Israel and Egypt, God hears. Notice what James calls God. He calls Him the Lord of hosts. That's a title for strength and power for God in the Old Testament. The Lord is the God of the lowly, but He's also the God of the armies of heaven. Which means, while the oppressed are powerless, God isn't. In fact, He is all-powerful. So even when we feel crushed, even in our tears, we can be resilient. My goodness, we can even be fearless. Because our God is the Lord of the armies of heaven. He is more than capable. And one day, He will right every wrong. We can be fearless. I like how the psalmist puts it. He says in Psalm 49, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who uh, trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Why should I fear? You see, earthly powers will come and go along with all of their riches and all the troubles that they bring. It won't last. But our God remains forever. So don't fear. He will rescue the abused and misused. As we saw earlier in our Old Testament reading from Micah chapter 3, the Lord of hosts will one day draw near in judgment against those who take advantage of other people. Uh, by the way, who, who is James calling to weep in our passage? The rich, right? But who's actually weeping? The defrauded, the exploited. Do you know what God promises one day? There will be a great reversal. As Jesus says, Blessed are you who weep now, but uh, for you shall laugh. But He also says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. There's great hope in the God who hears us. But if you're living like the world, like the things you can possess are your treasure, there's great misery coming upon you. And James calls it their day of slaughter. A day of slaughter. It's such a a gruesome picture, isn't it? There will be slicing, bloodshed, violence on that day. I know it's a brutal image, but I don't want you to shy away from it. Because because we might miss something uh, about God's heart if we do. This brutal phrase tells us how seriously God takes sin. How much he hates greed and injustice done to his people. But at the same time, it also tells us how much he loves the vulnerable, the mistreated, and the defrauded. One day he will come to their rescue. You know, it, it's hard not to see that James is talking about pigs here uh, when he says, A day of slaughter. Uh, The rich have become like pigs who who eat and eat. They consume everything because of their insatiable appetite. And by the way, in in Judaism, pigs are unclean animals, right? Um, Jews had nothing to do uh, with pigs. Uh, But like pigs, the hearts of the rich have become fat. Not with cholesterol, but with greed and injustice, with self-indulgence and luxury, with more and more earthly treasure. You know, hearts don't get fat overnight. There's a constant indulgence, more and more and more, in luxury, in excess, in surplus. They have their mansions and fancy cars. They live in overabundance. They can never get enough. Until one day, until one day comes slaughter. Uh, We encounter something like this in Luke 12, actually. If you want to turn there with me, it's a longer passage. It's in Luke 12. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 13 through 21. Uh, I'm sure when Pastor Brett gets there, he'll knock it out the park. Uh, But it's such a good passage. I want to look at it with you for a little bit. And so there's, there's someone in the crowd who comes to Jesus. And, and as usual, people uh, always want something from Jesus. This person wants Jesus to tell his brother to split the inheritance with him. Because apparently his brother got all of it and he got none of it. right? And so he wants Jesus to act like a judge and, and deliberate and, and, and tell his brother to give him some. But as usual, Jesus addresses a deeper problem. And I think it's a problem that resonates with all of us. Jesus knows this guy's problem isn't that he lacks stuff. It's that he has a greedy, coveting heart, which makes him think that the more things you have, the better your life will be. How many of us think that way? The only way I can be happy if, is I, I get X and Y and Z. It's if I get a bigger house, a better car, so on and so forth. How many of us think that way? Uh, but look at verse 15. Uh, Jesus t- says to this man, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. After Jesus says that, he, he tells his disciples a parable to illustrate this reality. You know, typical of our Lord, right? He, he, to tell a, a parable. So, so he says there's a rich man with land, right? Land uh, that's producing like crazy. I remember what I said earlier, you, you, you have a great responsibility when God blesses you with land. Uh, anyway, Anyways, uh, this man is producing so much crop, he doesn't know what to do with it. There's no space to store it all. He, he's very successful, right? So he thinks to himself, you know, I'm just going to get a sledgehammer and I'm going to tear down the barns that I have. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and build better and bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room for my crops. He says to himself, Man, I'm going to have so much that I could chill and relax for so many years. I can just watch Netflix for the rest of my life, right? Uh, it's, it's, this guy is preparing for, for absolute retirement. I could eat, drink, and be merry, he says. Okay, now I want you to listen to what God says to him. Look at verse 20. God says, fool. Remember, James is about wisdom. Fool. This night your soul is required of you. The day of slaughter is here. And the things you have prepared, the things that you have hoarded and kept for yourselves, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, this man's greed has made him a hoarder. Instead of giving it to the poor, he kept it for himself. You know, you would think that's okay, because, well, it it belongs to him, right? That's what we often think. But wrong. That's wrong. The Bible actually calls that injustice not to use our resources for the good of other people and keep it for ourselves. The Bible calls that injustice. When we don't use our possessions for the sake of the needy, we are being unjust. In doing so, James says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So, people debate who James is referring to here, and I really think it's multivalent uh, in other words, it's guess a fancy way of saying, I think it has multiple references. It refers to the exploited people who are crying out for justice in our passage, those who are powerless to resist and 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 they 've died under the hands of their oppressors so that 's one audience but 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 it probably also refers to James himself. Do you know that James is actually called James the Righteous in the early church? Uh, But there's no doubt that James is also appealing to Jesus. Uh, Isn't that what the Apostle John calls him? Jesus, the Righteous One of God. You know, collectively, we as human beings... We have condemned and murdered Jesus at the cross. We are all guilty. But at the cross, Jesus also showed his great love for us. He was not the indulgent pig. He was the humble lamb led to the slaughter. At the cross, he disarmed the power of greed and injustice in the world. He became poor. That we might become rich with a kind of wealth that will never fade away. He gifted us with everlasting treasure. What is that treasure? It's Himself. He gave us Himself that we might commune and fellowship with Him for eternity. That's our treasure. And that's the gospel. Uh, let, me, let me close with a few reflections here. What is so appealing about, about earthly riches? Well, they promise security. They promise happiness. They promise dignity. But you and I know that they can never truly deliver on those promises. Because they make for lousy saviors, don't they? As I said in the beginning, we live in one of the richest countries in the world. We are defined by wealth. It signifies our worth before people. And so the temptation to live like the rich is very real, where the goal is to be wealthy and comfortable. It's the American dream, but it's actually a biblical nightmare. Because the desire to be rich will destroy us. It will bankrupt us into misery. That's a nightmare. But I wonder what our community would look like if we pursued Jesus more than our earthly riches. If we treasured him more than money and comforts. Well, I think love and generosity among us would grow. I think we would use our resources for the good, Um, of others, and not just in here, but also in our community. We would do that even if it means being more uncomfortable And, and maybe even poor by America's standard. But when we commit ourselves to treasuring Jesus above everything that the world has to offer, we will be rich in faith. And the world will see that Jesus is the greatest treasure imaginable. And they will flee to Him. And so, and so this meal before us is for those laboring in God's kingdom. It's for those who are sowing in tears. Those who are mistreated for the sake of Jesus. Jesus those who are crying out for God to make things right. And this meal gives us a foretaste of that reality that one, God, one day God will make things right. In the bread and the wine, you're tasting God's coming justice, that day when God will make things right. You're tasting the reality that things will not go on like this forever where the poor and the humble are exploited, where the wealthy continue to take advantage of people. But this meal also teaches us to treasure what truly lasts. Seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be given to you, Jesus says. When you treasure Jesus, the king of that kingdom, you will have everything. He is the true treasure of the world. He is the resurrected treasure. He will never rot and corrode ever, ever again. And so this meal says one day you will see him face to face. You will have your treasure. And he will wipe away the tears from your eyes. Amen? I'd like to call our elders that we might partake of this meal before us. Let's pray. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in You we encounter what a heart of generosity looks like. And so we are thankful for Your abundant mercy, for Your abounding kindness, and for Your generous grace. O Lord, root out greed in our hearts. Help us to advocate for the marginalized and exploited. May we reflect Jesus' heart for the downtrodden and continue to renew our hearts that we might more and more treasure Jesus above all things. In His name we pray. Amen.